politics, football, faith, and theology. You're listening to Pfft Podcast, and I'm your host, Daniel. I did not want to do this episode. I almost did not, but I feel like it's necessary. I'm going to do an episode about re-examining some past cases of killings uh, of black men by police officers, cases that have been very high profile mostly, um, that there have been protests about, discussion about, and the reason I'm doing this is because I think the recent events, uh, especially the killing of George Floyd, and maybe also some of the sort of stories of police violence that we hear in response to protests and and of course some of the protests have turned violent or there have been violent riots alongside them but we've also heard some stories uh, about police officers responding uh, with some maybe excessive violence to the more peaceful protests as well so all of that uh, combined sort of and especially I think especially the killing of George Floyd and the fact that it was Uh, four police officers who were there, not just one and all that, makes you kind of think and re-examine some of these past cases. At least it does for me. Um, I've, so the first one was Trayvon Martin. I don't remember what year he was killed. I think it was 2012, maybe. Um... And if you remember that story, he was being followed by George Zimmerman, uh, he had a hoodie on. He was about 17 years old. Uh, he was just coming back from a store, uh, bought Skittles or something. And he was being followed by this guy who had kind of set up a neighborhood watch group or something and thought that he looked suspicious for whatever reason. Maybe it was uh, unfair profiling. Maybe it was racism. Who knows? Um, but he thought he looked suspicious for some reason. And then Trayvon Martin... Apparently, it's not clear exactly what happened, but maybe he knew that he was, saw that he was being followed, turned around, and somehow they ended up getting into a physical fight. And at some point, Trayvon Martin was smashing his face against the cement, so the story goes, and there are pictures of, of George Zimmerman's face looking messed up, you know, when after, right after uh, police arrived on the scene, or, or shortly afterwards. And so, in apparent self-defense, he shot Trayvon Martin. And and that's, the story was used, the story was really the start of the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, The narrative was that Trayvon Martin was shot for being black, or shot for wearing a hoodie, or shot for being a black guy wearing a hoodie. And, you know, it's really a lot more complicated than that. There, it seems like, you know, it's hard to know exactly what was going on. Uh, we can, you know, make guesses. We don't have, I don't think there's any video of, uh, of this event. And so it's hard to know. You know, you can't say for sure that Trayvon was the one who initiated the attack and uh, that it was pure self-defense. But you also can't say for sure the other way either. Um, it looks like evidence isn't really clear enough to convict George Zimmerman of murdering this guy. Um, it could be that he legitimately did fear for his life, but it is impossible to know when there isn't video evidence. And even if there is, sometimes video can be 
tough to interpret, but here there isn't even that. So it's a difficult case, but uh, that case made me think, made me not really trust the Black Lives Matter movement because it was completely assumed that this was unjustified, that it was not self-defense, when really there isn't a clear way to know, and the evidence that we do have seems to point to the fact that it was self-defense at some level. Now, maybe you could ask, and I have, is over the last couple of weeks especially, I uh, started to ask myself, even if he was smashing his face against the pavement, is shooting him an appropriate response to that? And that's, that is a tough question, but I think... You know, I think you have the right to defend yourself when you're being physically assaulted, even if that means using deadly force, especially if there isn't a clear way to escape, or especially if, um, you know, some, it, it is possible, I think, if you smash somebody's face against the cement for long enough, it is possible for that to kill him. And so I think this guy could have legitimately feared for his life and, you know, was being physically attacked, if that was the case. And it seems like it was, at least at some point. Maybe he had the right to use lethal force in self-defense. Sad, of course, that it happened. Um, but that was sort of my uh, position at the time. I've, I've thought a little bit more about it since then, and I, I don't think I've changed my conclusions about that one. The next one was Michael Brown, and I've mentioned that one already. I think I might have mentioned the Trayvon Martin one already as well uh, in a previous uh, little mini-episode. But people say that Michael Brown was saying, hands up, don't shoot, had his hands up, and was saying not to shoot. But there isn't actually any evidence that he had his hands up and was saying not to shoot at the time that he was shot. Uh, we know for sure that he was grabbing for the officer's gun at one point at least, was shot twice then. I think he was shot 12 times altogether, struck six times all on the front. Uh, so he wasn't, you know, shot from behind, so that's good, I guess. Um... It's not clear to me what exactly happened. You know, there's one witness, the friend of Michael Brown who was there, and then there's the officer, and so you get their stories, and then you get um, maybe a c disparate accounts from other other witnesses, but th those are the main accounts, I believe. And then there's also just the forensic evidence. And from all that, looking just at the Wikipedia article, it's not really clear to me what happened there, but it's certainly not clear that it was unjustified, and so the fact that this started so many protests, and some of them violent, um, and that there was this sort of assumption that he was that he had his hands up and was saying, don't shoot, and this hands up, don't shoot became a chant uh, that the Black Lives Matter movement would use specifically because of this. But there's actually no evidence that he was saying hands up, don't shoot, or that he had his hands up. Uh, the story uh, from the officer's perspective is that he was charging the officer at the time that he was, uh, sh at the second time that he was shot. The first time he was shot, he was grabbing for the officer's gun. The second time he was charging the officer. And if that's the case, and there isn't clear evidence saying that it's not the case, if that was the case, then the shooting was justified. Now, there isn't video evidence saying that that is what happened either. Uh, so we don't know for sure, but uh, we certainly don't have the right to assume that it was something else. Uh, the Eric Garner case, I, I spent more time tonight looking at that one than I ever had before. Honestly, I didn't pay much attention to this one. It was right after the Michael Brown case, and I kind of was maybe sort of biased by you know these previous cases, thinking, okay, they seem to be making a big deal out of nothing. Here's another one. And so I didn't pay much attention to it, and 
It's too bad that I didn't. Because the Eric Garner, I, I hope that if I had paid attention to that, I would have realized that something was wrong. He was put in a chokehold, which was illegal in New York. He said, I can't breathe 11 times and then died. There were four, uh, three or four officers in, in a picture I saw um, holding him down. One of them was putting him in a chokehold. And, you know, actually, this one kind of reminds me more than any of the others of the George Floyd case because there were multiple officers holding him down. One of them was choking him. Um, it wasn't a knee, it was an arm, but in some sense, that maybe is the main difference. He was saying, I can't breathe. They didn't let him, they didn't ease up on it. They didn't let him breathe. And he died because they choked him to death. He was arrested for selling untaxed cigarettes. This wasn't a violent crime. He didn't have a gun on him. He was arrested for selling untaxed cigarettes. And he was choked to death. Now maybe he resisted arrest. I don't know. I'm sure probably something happened uh, to make them put him in a chokehold. But that, to me seems like absolutely unconscionable and unjustifiable force to choke somebody to death because he sold untaxed cigarettes and then resisted arrest to not let up when he says I can't breathe 11 times and then here's something really sketchy about that the guy who filmed it this one was actually on film so we we can see exactly what happened I haven't watched the film I don't like watching videos of people actually dying in real life you know if it's in a movie or whatever fine uh, watch somebody blow up you know aliens in a movie or whatever but in I don't like watching videos of somebody dying in real life and I try to I try to just read the descriptions unless I uh, really need to so I did watch the video when I was talking to a police officer about the shooting of Daniel Shaver. I did watch the video of that, but I try to avoid it uh, just because I don't like watching videos of people actually dying. But um, but the guy who filmed it was arrested just weeks later and sentenced to four years in prison. Apparently there was a plea deal where they also arrested his mother and they said she, they would let her go if he plead, pleaded guilty to uh, something like possession of a firearm that he wasn't supposed to possess. Now, this guy seems like he was a little bit of a sketchy guy, um, but it's not completely clear that they didn't just target him because they were mad that he had filmed this thing and exposed what had happened. And if that's the case, you know, it's not, you can't prove that that was why they arrested him. It could be a complete coincidence that the guy who filmed this was arrested just weeks afterward, but it sure seems like maybe this was in retaliation. In fact, Apparently during his trial they even made some comments about the fact that he had done this filming. Um, that seems wrong. Something is messed up there, if that's the case. So that's... A, the Eric Garner killing is a particularly egregious example that I wish I had paid more attention to when it happened. It reminds me of the killing of George Floyd, like I said. And that one shows, along with the killing of George Floyd and some of these others as well, that that something seems to be messed up. That that police officers would um, would do this. That you know that one again, like the George Floyd one, that was multiple police officers. 
that they would be acquitted. Or actually, I don't think they were even uh, indicted. I think the grand jury uh, didn't charge them uh, or indict them or whatever the official term is. So they, didn't, they weren't even brought to a full trial. Something about that seems messed up to me. Something about the fact that this happens so often that even, you know, some of these, like I said, maybe are more justified and maybe the reaction is overblown or even uh, dishonest, but some of these seem clearly wrong to me and the fact that a that they're almost always acquitted or not even indicted seems like there's a big systemic problem. And I'm not convinced that the problem is racism because it happened with the killing of Daniel Shaver too. I don't remember if he was acquitted or if he was not indicted in the first place, but the guy who shot him was not sentenced. I'm I'm pretty sure. If, let me just pause and check that. Okay, so it looks like the guy who shot Daniel Shaver was tried and acquitted. So, again, you know, whatever it is that makes some of these cases turn into acquittals and other ones turn into not even being indicted. It's not pure racism because it happened in this case as well. Um, and I tend to think that it, the real issue is more a pro-police bias. You know, we tend to trust police officers as we should, right? Like they're supposed to be the ones who are upholding uh, the law and keeping us safe from crime. We don't expect police officers to be the ones committing crime. And so we tend to give them the benefit of the doubt, I think. And I think that's why juries seem so ready to acquit. And I think that's why grand juries seem so ready to not indict. And I think we give them too much benefit of the doubt. I've read some, uh, what's the guy's name? David French has written about this. And I think he makes a lot of good points. So um, let's see. So that was Eric Garner. Tamir Rice, when he was killed... He was 12 years old. He was uh, apparently holding a an airsoft gun, which if you don't know what an airsoft gun is, it, it looks a lot like a real gun. The only difference is it has an orange tip on it. Well, this one it had the orange tip cut off or taken off somehow. And so it looked pretty much just like a real pistol. And uh, so somebody called the police, said that there was a guy walking around pointing a pistol at people. Apparently that's what he was doing with it, this 12-year-old kid. The man who called the police said it was probably a fake gun. So somehow he knew, maybe he just kind of got a vibe that this was a kid playing around. Uh, you probably couldn't look at the gun and be sure that it was fake because airsoft guns do at least often look pretty realistic. Sometimes that's kind of what they're designed to. They're designed to look like the actual weapon but with the orange tip so that everybody knows it's not a real weapon. And when you take that off, it can look real. But somehow this guy had an inkling that it was a fake gun. He also told the dispatcher that the boy was probably a juvenile. It turns out he was 12, so definitely a juvenile. But, I don't know, maybe from a distance it's hard to judge an age. And so, the dispatcher did not convey this information to the police officers who actually went and responded to the scene. So, all they were told was that somebody was waving a pistol around. They weren't told it was a kid, and they were not told that it was likely a fake gun. And within two seconds of the car stopping right in front of Tamir Rice, 
They shot him and killed him. Now, it seems like he was reaching for his pistol, his fake pistol, that shoots airsoft pellets. They sting, but that's about it. So he was reaching for it, and and they shot him. Which, so my, my first reaction to this when it happened, I'll be honest, my reaction was, that's tragic, but that's what happens when you go around pointing a fake pistol at people and pretending that it's real when it's when the tip is cut off so that people can't tell that's kind of what happens when police officers pull up and you pull a gun on them that they have no way of knowing whether it's real or fake and i don't know i mean there is something to that still but why was the information not conveyed that this was probably fake i think it goes back to the uh the fact that police officers are trained to imagine the worst case scenario, right? So police officers feel like it's their job to respond as if it's the worst case scenario because they don't want to be caught underprepared. Well, there's a problem with that because often, you know, I'm sure they deal with a lot of really bad situations, but there are also situations like this where you think something's happening and it turns out to be nothing. Um, or it turns out to be not nothing, but some kid doing something stupid. Uh, I, so, when police officers assume that it's the worst case scenario, they're not leaving any room for, well, what if this is just a 12-year-old kid with a fake toy gun? You know, how would you want to respond if you think there's a 50-50 chance that this is a 12-year-old kid with a fake gun and a 50-50 chance that this is some adult with a real gun, maybe on drugs, who knows what. There have been no reported gunshots yet, so you know that, you know, he's not going, he's not actively shooting people yet, at least. I, I wonder, you know, what would they have done differently if they had been thinking more along those lines? And, and the fact that that information wasn't even conveyed to them seems to indicate that somebody didn't even think that that was relevant information. Because, of course, you're just going to assume that it's the worst-case scenario. So whether there's a 10% chance that it's the worst-case scenario or a 90% chance that it's the worst-case scenario, you're going to do that. But the problem with that is if it's a 10% chance and a 90% chance it's some kid who's just doing something dumb, you don't want to kill him. If there's a 90% chance, maybe you want to be a little more willing to you know, do something that you need to do to protect yourself and the, especially the people around um but but when you when there is a good chance that it's just a kid like the response needs to reflect that like maybe don't pull right up to him and give him a chance to reach for his gun and then shoot him within two seconds by the way the police officer who shot him was um had previously been dismissed from a job because he was emotionally unprepared for it or something they thought he couldn't emotionally handle it so you know there is something to that too although i guess a federal uh, the FBI reviewed this case and determined that the shooting was justified. I don't have enough information to know what else to think about the officer's actions given what information they knew. But the fact that the re very relevant information that it was probably a kid with a toy gun was not conveyed to them, and that shows that something's wrong. Now, would this kid have been treated differently if he were white? I have no idea. Maybe. Maybe if he were white, they would have conveyed that information. Maybe somehow 
you know, the dispatcher's conscience would have pricked him to pass that along more. But I don't know. I don't know. And so, you know, that's one of the things about these cases is they are complicated. And we don't know in most of these cases whether something is racially motivated or not. Um, it could just be the way that police are, are trained or the way that dispatchers are uh, dispatching the cases or who knows what. Uh, that's a complicated case, this shooting of Tamir Rice. Very tragic, and I wish that it had been handled differently. It seems like something went wrong on the police's end, and I didn't think that really initially, but uh, looking more into it now and thinking a little more carefully, and especially in light of some of these other things, uh, like the killing of Eric Garner and George Floyd, it does seem to me like something should have been done differently, and I'm not even sure exactly what. And I'm not saying that, you know, it was because he was black that he was killed, because I have no idea if he would be alive today if he were white or not. Another one, Freddie Gray. I hadn't thought much, too much about this case before either. You know, at that point there was the, the shooting of Trayvon Martin and Michael Brown, and that seemed really that those were justified, and uh, or at least not at all clear that they were unjustified. I hadn't paid attention to the Eric Garner case. The Tamir Rice case at the time seemed to me to make sense why they did what they did, although, you know, looking now, I've sort of changed my attitude about that one. But I hadn't thought much of... I, I didn't pay much attention to the Freddie Gray case. And I'm looking at the Wikipedia article now. It's not clear that they intended to kill him. So what happened was he was arrested and taken into a police car, and they drove... And who knows what happened? Maybe they drove really rough. Maybe he wasn't seat belted. He somehow got a, you know, his face smashed against another seat or against something in the car and ended up uh, suffering an injury to the head that killed him. I have no idea what happened in that car. There is not video of that. Um, it's not clear that they intended to kill him, but maybe. Maybe they were driving around rough because they wanted to hurt him. Maybe they didn't think it would kill him, but they just wanted to rough him up a bit. Or maybe, you know, who knows what happened. Maybe just some free thing happened in the middle of that car. But he was arrested for carrying a knife. That was what they got him for. They arrested him for carrying a knife. Now think about that, because we have a right to bear arms in the United States. He should have been allowed to carry a gun. And he died ultimately because he was carrying a knife. The knife was legal under Maryland law, maybe violated some Baltimore code or something, and he was arrested for carrying a knife and ended up dying in a police van because of it, or, or shortly after being in a police van. Was it racism? Was it murder? Who knows? But you look at a guy who was arrested for carrying a knife and died in a police van, and you go, okay, something's not right. I'm not sure what it was here that's not right, but something's not right if a guy who's arrested for carrying a knife is dying in a police van. Uh, the last case I want to talk about here is Terrence Crutcher. So this was in 2016. He was on drugs, PCP, I think. He was acting weird, left a car in the middle of the road, was telling people it was going to blow up. When police came, he kept reaching into his pocket, refusing to show his hands, kept walking toward the car when they told him to stop, maybe reached suddenly into the vehicle, uh, and at that point an officer tased him and another officer shot him. I think tasing him was the right thing to do, okay? He's, clearly he's acting erratic, you need to do something, you know, he might do something at any minute, he's not obeying orders, he's got his car in the middle of, you know, 
the road. He seems to be kind of threatening people, saying the car's going to blow up or something. Um, you need to figure out what's going on. I think tasing him was the right thing to do. Shooting him with a real gun. I mean, maybe there was a tiny chance that he was going to reach into the car and pull out a gun and then shoot the police officers, but... I feel like you ought to wait till he pulls out a gun on you to shoot him, or at least till you see that there is a gun. It turns out there wasn't even a gun in the car. There wasn't a gun on the scene. So, what I said at the time was that even if a police officer or, or anybody who, you know, does a shooting in, in self-defense or purported self-defense, anybody who does a shooting in purported self-defense, if it turns out the person didn't even have a gun... You should go to jail for at least some time. There needs to be jail time. If you kill somebody because you're afraid the person has a gun and the person doesn't even have a gun, and isn't like saying, you know, I have a gun or pretending to have a gun and pretending to be about to shoot you. If you kill somebody in purported self-defense when there isn't a real threat at all, there's got to be some consequence. There's got to be some jail time. Because if there's not, I'll tell you what, it's it's... Well, it's no accountability. And if you if you hear this suggestion and say, well, if that's the case, then police won't be able to do their jobs because they'll be afraid of going to jail. They should be afraid. They should be more afraid of killing an innocent person or, you know, maybe if not completely innocent, at least, you know, killing somebody who's not posing a deadly threat to them. You should be more afraid of killing somebody who is not posing a deadly threat to you than you are of going to jail for a year or two. Or more, depending on the severity of the killing. Why aren't you more afraid of that, if that's the case? That's a question I have, because I've I've heard that, you know, you, you say, well, there needs to be some kind of consequence for that, and people say, well, then, you know, police officers aren't going to be able to do their jobs, they're going to be more afraid to respond, you know, and they're going to put their, themselves in more danger. You should be afraid to respond. You should be afraid to shoot somebody who you have no idea if the person has a gun or not. So, I guess that's my take still on, on that case is, you know, and it seems like, you know, I've just looked at the Wikipedia article tonight. I had heard kind of secondhand accounts of news reports before. Um, yeah, I, I think this seems wrong. You know, this officer who, who killed him, she was acquitted of first-degree manslaughter. Again, acquitted. Uh, at least she was tried, but she was acquitted. And it seems like something's wrong. Like, we kind of always believe police officers when they say they were scared for their lives. Philando Castile is another one. I mean, that, that one's just so obviously... The guy told him he had a gun, he had the right to have a gun, he told the police officer because that's what he was supposed to do, and then the police officer shot him for it. What can you what can you do about that? Like there there's no there's no excuse for that. The Flando Castile case, the, the officer even said something like, Oh, because he was smoking marijuana in front of his son, he had such disregard for his son's life that I thought he was gonna like want to kill me too. Because like smoking marijuana in front of your son is shows that you just, like, are about to go around killing everyone? How do you... How do you even justify that? How do you... I don't understand why a case like that one, it would be acquitted, but something... I don't think it's racism. I don't think that there are so many people on juries that you could get 12 people, 
in all of these cases to say, well, yeah, it looks like this was murder, but because the victim was black, we're just going to acquit. I don't think you can do that. I don't think that racism is the main reason why these people are acquitted. Now, there might be some unconscious bias here, but again, that Daniel Shaver case, you know, that officer was acquitted as well. So I think the issue is that we are too quick to trust police, not quick enough to hold them accountable. And again, you know, by and large, police aren't doing this stuff. That's important to remember. There's like probably millions of police out there. I don't know. Probably there's 300 million people in America, 330 million. Is one in 300 people a cop? Probably. There's... There's a lot of police out there, and the vast, vast majority of them are not doing this stuff. But there are still maybe some cultural problems uh, that do pervade the way that police officers are trained to respond to things as if it's the worst-case scenario. That doesn't mean that police officers all over are going around just shooting people up like like they shot Terrence Crutcher or like they uh, you know, shot Tamir Rice or you know, choked Eric Garner or George Floyd to death or Philando Castile. That stuff is not, we can't act like every police officer is doing that because they're not. But there might be uh, systemic issues with the way that police officers are trained that we should look at. You know, why is it possible to not always assume the worst case scenario and, you know, Escalate because when you assume the worst case scenario, you're escalating the situation. You know, police should be trained to de-escalate when they can. I'm not saying you always can. Sometimes you gotta go in with the big guns, but you know, sometimes you need to be trained to you need to de-escalate, and they should be trained to do that probably more. Just looking at these cases, and uh, the other thing is that you know, when there are bad police officers, it needs to be easier to fire them. And so we need to get rid of things like qualified immunity. We need to change things about how police unions make contracts uh, to in, in a way that protects police officers. I've read some articles about that. I think that those are, are two very clear things to do. Uh, and then, you know, those things would help us get rid of bad police officers. And then I think we could do a little bit sort of overall uh, more de-escalation training and in the meantime, continue things like body cameras. Again, you know, when, even when there's video evidence, it doesn't always seem to help. But uh, let's have that. So there is at least that accountability. That's all I got for now. Um, well, that was half an hour long, so that's plenty of time. I didn't want to do that episode because uh, it's just so so difficult to go through these tragic cases, even the ones that that it seems like. It was a justified force use of, of deadly force. Even those cases are tragic. And certainly the ones that are, are unjustified or, uh, or maybe mixed or, or something. It's so tragic. And to admit that I don't have all the answers, I really don't know the answers to some of these cases. I'm still, as you can, you can probably even hear me almost on air rethinking some of these and and in some sense thinking out loud, and that's uncomfortable for me, especially with such weighty things as this. So I don't want to pretend that I have all of the answers, uh, especially when I haven't seen all of the evidence that's out there about each of these cases and all that. But I think it's important to talk about them because, you know, if I don't say something, then 
then well, it seems like the two narratives out there are either every single one of these is a racist cop trying to kill somebody because he's black, and I don't think that's true. Or the other narrative is, ah, cops are always, you know, when a cop kills somebody, it's almost always justified. This cop was acquitted, probably should have been acquitted. This cop said he feared for his life. Why shouldn't we trust the cop? That kind of thing. I don't think that's right either. I think we need to look more carefully. And so even if I don't have a perfect answer here, and even if I'm, you know, doing my best, kind of fumbling around trying to think about these as best I can, I think it's important to have these conversations about them and uh, I know that a lot of people have strong, strong opinions about these cases, and I've probably uh, fully agreed with nobody who's listening here on, on every single one, uh, so please show some grace. Um, you know, I'd love to talk. If you want to discuss these more, feel free to send me an email with your thoughts. Uh, my email address is daniel.pfftpodcast at gmail.com. Send me your thoughts. I'd love to discuss more. Um, And until then, uh, thanks for listening. Please join me next time. Uh, I'm out for now.